Well, good evening. I do want to welcome you all again, once again this evening, those who are joining in on this live stream Bible study. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining in. And uh, last week I did receive some messages back. And it is nice to know who is out there and participating with us uh, in this particular study. And the study at the moment focusing in the book of James. Moving quite slowly through the book, but finding I'm certainly finding the book very helpful, practical, and uh, really enabling and challenging in uh, various areas that we've touched on. So just to mention tonight, we are on load shedding. I am on load shedding. So I've got a backup system here, and uh, it did uh, fail about 20 minutes ago. So we are hoping that it's going to run through without any difficulty. So if I suddenly disappear, that's the reason. But we are praying and hoping that this thing uh, would uh, at least last through uh, to the end of the study. Now let's pray together and then we're going to consider the Word of God uh, for these next 30-40 minutes. Lord, we come again this evening thanking you for opportunities we have, freedom, Lord, to study your Word, to proclaim your Word, to share together in fellowship, and we do that together as we meet Sunday by Sunday. We do that, Lord, in various opportunities in each other's homes. And, and Lord, we have this opportunity to do this online. And so we do pray tonight that this uh, time together would be of great value to us. And particularly, Lord, as we navigate uh, challenges and particularly in this area of temptation. And that you would give us much wisdom. Give us, uh, Lord, your counsel and enabling, even as we go from day to day, Lord, desiring to live a life that is pleasing to you, a life, Lord, that is more and more conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, for each other in this process of sanctification, knowing, Lord, that we ought to be at work even as you, by your Spirit, is at work. So thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for those uh, who help in this process, for Ryan, and that which he is doing as well. And so praying this, asking in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's still James chapter 1, and I'd like us to read. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I was sharing in another Bible study that I lead that we, we must remember that the Scriptures come to us in a context. There is, of course, the circumstantial context, but there is also the context in terms of the literally literary presentation of the letter. So a letter is received, it's, it's uh, read, and more than likely read in its entirety, and then read again and again and again, and studied, uh, and coming to terms with the different issues in that particular original situation. So we study the book, we seldom do an entire book in one sitting, and in this particular case we're already on week 4 or 5, and we're still in the first chapter. So do remember that uh, the passage is in the same context, and James has largely been dealing so far with the matter of trials. And so he does get uh, down to verse 13, where we're going to be focusing on tonight, and he says there, Let no one say when he is tempted, I've been tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so that passage this evening, and uh, going to be looking at it, and I've entitled the study tonight, Facing Temptation. And so we're going to be looking at just to see what kind of counsel and wisdom uh, we can glean from this particular passage. So just to comment a little on the context of the passage, up to now James has been discussing uh, those trials that come from what we would call outward or physical circumstances. There are those inevitable trials, he calls them varied trials, uh, abnormal personal disasters, and, and they come in all sorts of shapes and, and, and sizes and, and intensity. And we've seen something of that in verses three, uh, verses 2 uh, to 8. And then uh, we also considered the issue of uh, what I would call tonight economic inequalities and, and the trial of being poor, the trial of being rich, and in both instances the wisdom that was given us uh, by James as, of course, led by the Spirit. Now he had concluded, and, and again just to remind you of the declaration, that those who persevere, those who persevere faithfully, who are under affliction, who are facing trials, who get through these trials, who stand up under the trials, will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And so there is this anticipated uh, reward, this expectation of uh, being received into the presence of God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But as we move on this evening, we're going to be digging a little bit deeper and seeing that it's not just outward trials. It's not just that which is external, all those very trials that come in different shapes and sizes. We, we do face those. But tonight we're going to be seeing that there are also trials and struggles that come from within. Now it's not so much the outside, but it's that which comes from within you and, and from within me. And, and, and of course there is some connection between the two um, as well. And very specifically tonight, going to be dealing with the issue of the trial of temptation to sin. It is a trial. It's something that we face again and again in different circumstances for different reasons. We'll look at some of those tonight. Uh, the reality is it, it happens, it continues to happen, even though we are believers, and it will happen right through until the end of this life, until finally we are perfected and received into the presence uh, of the Lord. These trials are blessings. I've commented on the re final receiving of the crown of life, and uh, these trials also lead us on to maturity, perfecting us, a phrase I often use is us being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. But the point we're going to see tonight, or certainly one of the issues in this introduction I'm wanting to make, is that this maturity, this perfecting, this growing is not automatic. It doesn't just happen. It depends a lot on your responses, my responses, and the use that you make of your circumstances and how these trials are worked or you, you let them work in you and how you respond to them. 
Now, every circumstance, there are many, many situations. I'd never be able to list them all, but certainly want to mention some of them. I've made a list over here. A big one, of course, is that of sexual desire, both men and women, young and old face. It's a reality, Uh, married or unmarried. I know in our evening service, our brother Jabu has been preaching through uh, some of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and dealing with some of this challenge uh, of, of sexual desire, both amongst the married and also single people. But there are other challenges like ambition and uh, covetousness and, and the whole issue of vanity or, or pride, elevating ourselves or being tempted to elevate ourselves beyond where we ought to be, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. Sometimes it can be the temptation to uh, react with revenge toward someone else. Uh, it, it could be a love for fame or the exercise of, of power. And some weeks I even mentioned this really ve- this very real challenge of narcissism, narcissism that I'm, 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 I'm seeing around me in, in terms of uh, leadership so easily takes place. And so these, these are some of the temptations and, and there are even more. My list continues. It can be greed for money. It could be greed for nice things. It could be Deception, the temptation to deceive others and, and, and avoid truthfulness. All of these and more require a decision from you. Re- your response and my response to these varying temptations that come regularly come uh, in our direction. And so the question is, of course, the challenge is to persevere. Will you persevere? Will I persevere? Will we continue to walk with God? Or, as we're going to see tonight, will there be a submitting to that voice, a listening to that voice which suggests the easy way of disobedience to God, disloyalty to God, grieving the Spirit of God? So, We do need to begin, if we're going to tackle this subject, by looking at the matter of responsibility. Who who is responsible? And I've just simply entitled my first uh, point, uh, where does the buck stop? Who is responsible? And, And so we must consider, and we're going to be looking at this particular passage, to straighten out our thinking about the origin of temptation. And to ask the question, where where does it come from? Uh, Where does it start? And correct thinking in in regard to this uh, question will help us in giving the right kind of response, the right kind of action when temptation strikes. So James here brings a clear warning, and and it's more than a warning. it's, It's a caution. It's a strong caution against bad thinking, bad thinking that we ought to avoid. Verse 13. He makes it very plain, makes it very clear. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, the context of trials we've seen already in the earlier verses, all that James has written, has been rooted in this wonderful truth of the providence of God. So God orchestrating, God using, God overseeing, God governing, God leading, God accomplishing his purposes. Yes, that's all there. 
and God's sovereign use in terms of his providence, using the trials to bring about maturity, to bring about holiness that enables us to grow, enables us to proceed with joy in the greater context of, of who we are as believers and, and, and avoid becoming all bitter and twisted and resentful towards others and, and life. And so it's only a sovereign God that can give a generous supply of wisdom. We've seen that as well. Uh, to all those who ask him, it's only a sovereign God also that we saw in verse 12 that can reward faithfulness with the crown of life. Now, having said all of that, and I've said that because there is a, an incorrect step of rationalization that we can take and doing so wrongly. Twisting the truth to accommodate sin in our lives, to rationalize us yielding to temptation. Well, the twisted logic goes something like this. Since God created all things, so God has created, must have created man's evil impulses and is therefore, God is therefore responsible for the sin in my life. You see, essentially, and, and you may not be thinking that, I would hope not, but the temptation, the inclination is to try and shift the blame to someone else. That kind of line of thinking of, of Adam, remember Adam attempting to shift responsibility uh, from himself after his fall into sin, uh, faced with the accusation of having disobeyed God, what did he do? He blurted out, Genesis chapter 3 verse 12, he, he puts the blame on God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree. And of course we know that's an indicator ultimately of the nature of man's heart, the depravity of man. And so in a crisis of moral collapse, he refuses to take the blame. And, and, and that's very, very common today. In fact, it's often justified today in terms of uh, circumstances that may have been difficulty or particular uh, uh, action that was perpetrated toward an individual. And so the tendency, the tendency that we as human beings seem to have is wanting to blame somebody else, even uh, at times blaming God. Well, James puts a stop to that kind of thinking, that kind of deception, and he points to the very nature and character of God. Verse 13, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And, and, and that's true. We know that's true. Surely uh, evil uh, does not have an appeal God. Uh, God is and, 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 and does the exact, exact opposite of evil. Uh, God is beyond the reach of temptation. God is, as we see in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy God Almighty. And so the point I'm trying to make, the point I believe James is trying to impress upon us as well, is that we must not excuse the sins we commit by shifting the blame onto God. One old author put it this way, in whatever way you choose to do this, this is shifting the blame onto God, can be described as treason against the righteous lordship 
of Christ, which of course we don't want to be guilty of. We need to see that the one person responsible for the temptations into which we fall is man. It's me. It's you. You for your particular sin and and me for my particular sin. And I'm always reminded of the prophet Nathan. It's one of the passages in the Bible that often comes to my own mind where Nathan said to David, David over the sin of Bathsheba, when David was horrified when Nathan told him the story of of the poor man having his little lamb uh, taken from him. And then ultimately uh, Nathan saying to David, you're the man. You're the one guilty. You're the one that has committed this horrible atrocity. And so we are responsible. And so to correct that thinking right from the outstart, you make decisions, I make decisions, and, and you're responsible for the way in which you respond to the temptations that come your way. So digging a little bit deeper then and moving on to a second point is where does temptation come from? Now, James tells us over here in verse 14, he says, uh, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged and enticed, dragged away and enticed. Now, we know, and James will deal with this a little bit later in the book when we get to chapter 4, that Satan also is at work at times tempting believers to sin. We know that, and, and we're going to get to that. We'll speak to that issue. He raises that. But he does reveal here in this first chapter of the book that the root of the problem is evil desire within us, within me and even within you. And so the concern in this particular instance is with all those desires that are contrary to God and the will of God. The nature of the human heart is corrupt. Even the believer, and and yes, many of us have been believers for many years, but still we struggle. We struggle with the remaining marks of sin. We are not yet perfect, and, and, and there's the struggle that rages within us. And so the basic thrust of what James is actually saying in, in this passage to us tonight is that we people sin simply because we want to sin. We choose to sin. We decide to sin. Powers of darkness are real. We understand that. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. We know the reality of circumstantial opportunities or the way certain circumstances uh, can entice us or or lure us and and, and, and certainly making sin a more attractive proposition. We know that, that that's all true. But the fundamental problem is that of evil desire within us and therefore the need for you and for me to take responsibility for that tempting voice, the voice of the sinful nature. And so it is by your and my own evil desire that we are dragged away and enticed. And uh, just by way of illustration, uh, the extension of uh, what has been said here is uh, James is making use of fisherman language. And I've done a bit of fishing in my life. I'm sure many of you have also tried your hand at some fishing. But I do remember some uh, years ago having the opportunity when uh, my two boys were quite young and we were 
visiting in Zimbabwe and we had an opportunity to be out on a boat fishing on Lake Kariba. And we did that intentionally because I'd heard so much about tiger fish and tiger fishing and we wanted to try a hand at, at tiger fishing. And we baited up our hooks on our rods. We cast the rods into the water. And what was the intention? The intention was that we would lure the tiger fish so that the tiger fish would bite, take the bait and be hooked onto the hook and therefore become captive to the fishermen, to us on that particular occasion. I must confess that in spite of claiming to be a fisherman, I did not catch any tiger fish that day. But I still remember my little boy, eldest son, at that particular time, he managed to catch a tiger fish and so did Carol. But I just watched him. They had the knack, this is the point I'm trying to make, they seem to have the knack of luring and enticing the fish to its own destruction. And you say, you see, it's in the same way that temptation seeks to draw you and entice you away from the safety of the presence of God. And so if you don't deal with it there and then, it won't be long. And any one of us, any one of us will forget who and what we are as believers, as children of God, who ought to be living a holy life. And we throw caution to the wind. The bait on the hook looks so attractive. We take the bait, we bite the bait, and we're hooked. I found in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book on temptation a paragraph, which I think is so descriptive of the process of what James is trying to teach us about. And I'm going to just read this paragraph to you. Uh, Bonhoeffer describes how this process works and he says, With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. Inward desire begins to take control. It makes no difference whether it's sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love for fame and power or greed for money. There comes a point. This is what he says. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not fill us with hatred for God, but with forgetfulness for God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. I found that description so accurate, so real. And so when you or I are in the grip of temptation, it's so true. God feels so distant from us. His word is so easily disregarded. And the source of temptation is not God. It's not God doing this. We've already said that. It may not even be the devil. It may be the devil. But certainly man's own sinful heart. Which takes me to the next point. And I want to talk about the fact where does it all end? Where does or where can it all end? Does it really matter that we submit or yield to temptation? 
Well, James gives an answer to that question in verse 15. It says, Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Now, the, the language is so graphic and so helpful because the use of the process of birth is actually here used as what one author described as brilliantly ironic. The very notion of the birth of death. That's not, it's the wrong way around. It conveys a sad and sickening air of disaster and meaninglessness. And so the root idea of, of, of giving birth basically means ceases to be pregnant. So the idea is that sin grows rapidly, just as an embryo grows to maturity. And when it's full grown, the state of pregnancy must come to an end. But the horror in the picture that we're given in the passage is that sin does not give birth to life, as would normally be expected, but gives birth to death. Again, just to see something of the description over here, there are three generations here. The mother is evil desire, the daughter is sin, and the granddaughter is death. The death is spiritual and eternal forever and ever. So yielding or giving into temptation does lead to an ultimate destination of condemnation. Sin begins as a novelty, it slips into drudgery, and it ends in slavery. See, folk, we can only be, as it were, fun-loving sinners for so long. Soon the bill has to be paid, or as the Apostle Paul put it, the wages of sin is death. Now, I do need to add at this particular point, I'm dealing with the topic tonight. I can't say everything about it because you may be thinking, well, can this be true of a believer, a true believer? And uh, if we look at the book of 1 John, and I'll allude to it just now in some closing remarks, uh, there, there, there is uh, the truth of um, changed life in, uh, that, that, that becomes evident in the life of a true believer. But I'm, I'm not going down there. We have to deal with the warnings as they come to us in the Bible. And the warning here is that when sin consumes you, when sin takes over your life, or if it takes over my life, it takes us down a pathway that ultimately can end in condemnation or destruction. And so a couple of implications that I'll just touch on is in, in closing is, number one, and I've said this, temptation or facing temptation does require uh, for you or me to take responsibility. It very important word from God to you, and to me, is that in this kind of circumstance, in the instance of facing temptation, we must not blame somebody else. We must take responsibility for that, those evil desires, those thoughts that come from within us, that entice us to sin. I always found the example of Joseph a great help. And the, another implication is what I've said, use the fire escape. Uh, God has provided a very practical way out. Uh, it doesn't sound very spiritual, but 
Uh, Paul also mentions this in in his book, Radical Action to to the Corinthians, is just flee, run. Because when when we dwell, we will get sucked in and and not be able to run before long. Uh, Run like blazes, as Joseph did from Potiphar's wife, taking some decisive responsibility. And then as we move on also, Check yourself and your habits. So be careful what circumstances you place yourself in. Temptation definitely will come your way. You will never be able to avoid it completely. But minimize the potential for trouble by using good common sense. And what am I referring to? The kind of movies you watch. The kind of songs you expose yourself to. And especially these days when there's so much Uh, video material available, Uh, taking care of of the series that you watch on on TV, what you expose yourself to in terms of materialism and uh, uh, sensualness and and all that the world has to offer. And I remember being told by uh, an older pastor many, many years ago, and I've never forgotten this, he said, avoid being um, like a vulture, but rather be like a duck. And apparently, I don't know this uh, myself, but I'm taking his word for it. I do understand that a vulture circles uh, his prey and and eventually dives down and devours it. Now, we mustn't be like a vulture when it comes to temptation. He said, be like a duck. Can't avoid temptation, but but a duck will look and just keep flying. And so uh, not allowing itself to be sucked in to its own destruction. I think it's also helpful to be accountable. Accountable relationships can be helpful. Uh, Find someone you can trust if you're facing a particular difficult struggle and uh, be transparent with that person, be accountable to that person, uh, pray with that person, that person pray with you, um, asking God to give you the strength uh, to be strong. And then very importantly, I think for any one of us is to be subjected to the spiritual disciplines. Acts 2.42, we read there of the early church continuing steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer, fellowship. And and, and while remain, the old illustration we were taught as teenagers, if you take a coal out of the fire, it soon cools. But if you leave it within amongst the other coals, it stays hot. And, and so to remain connected, to be involved in the spiritual disciplines, the corporate disciplines, the individual disciplines of devotion, in the Word of God, in the meditation, in prayer, and, and, and so on. Now, a few comments. I think I want to at least say this to believers. A helpful passage I have found is 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, uh, John writes, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now you, we, we understand that's fairly straightforward English. Uh, pursue a holy life. Uh, resist temptation. Don't yield to temptation. Become more and more holy. Be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so, yes, we will fall at times. We do fall at times. 
but don't leave it there. Uh, confess these sins. Uh, go to the Lord Jesus. He is a high priest. He is the one who represents us before the Father. He is the one that has been subjected to the wrath of God in our place as believers. He has appeased the wrath of God for us. He has credited us with uh, His righteousness. He has taken our sin upon Him. And, and so that's the gospel message. But what we do need to recognize is that we must not sin that grace may abound. It's another issue the Apostle Paul uh, deals with in, in, the, in the book of Romans. So not taking advantage, not being presumptuous regarding grace. But when we do fall, to always uh, understand that there is forgiveness, that there is a way forward. So, so believers, do not sin. That ought to be the pattern. That ought to be the lifestyle. But when you do sin... You know where you can find forgiveness. That's a word for believers. I also want to urge if anybody out there may be listening that is not a believer, that finds himself or herself in a place of unbelief or not converted, there is a warning from God in this passage that we need to see as well. The wages of sin is death. There are consequences uh, for every single person who remains in sin. And so we need to understand the wages of sin is death. But there's good news because the very same verse in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I want to urge on you to believe and to receive the gift that God has secured in and through the work of Jesus on the cross. And Acts chapter 17 verse 30 uh, puts it very bluntly and plainly. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn your back on sin. Not to live facing sin. Not to live in sin. But to turn your back from sin. To repent. And of course, turning to Christ to find salvation, to trust him for forgiveness on the basis of the work that he has done. And then Paul gives a reason in Acts chapter 17. Why ought you to repent? For he has said today when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So a challenge to believers a challenge to unbelievers that we understand that regardless of who we are, ultimately we are accountable to God and will give an account to him. And so may God help us, each one of us. I don't think there's any person out there that this message from James does not apply to. Temptation will repeatedly and sometimes persistently and sometimes relentlessly come and seek to uh, destroy us in our walk with God. So the Lord help us and, and give us strength. And I'm going to show now just before I close uh, just the slide at the end, some questions. And I've, I've given Bonhoeffer's statement there for your scrutiny and examination as well, trusting that uh, that will also help you understand and be aware of uh, the process as it unfolds even in your own life, in a given circumstance or situation.
And so, Lord, we do pray. Please be gracious to us. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit and and keep us uh, in your hands, we ask. May you be exalted. May it be seen, Lord, that your Spirit is at work, that indeed we are those who are created in Christ Jesus uh, to do good works, which you have prepared in advance for us to do. Have your hand upon us, Lord, even as we go into this week. And may your word continue to dwell in us and enable us, we pray, to the glory of your name. And Lord, I am mindful tonight of anybody facing a particular temptation, that you would, by your spirit, give them the strength to resist and stand firm, drawing near to you at this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, amen, and and, and God bless you. Uh, See you once again on the Lord's Day.